It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across new and pre-owned petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid and electric Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show once more. If you want to get in touch with us today, just remind you of the contact numbers 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Coming up today, Ragworth. It's a scourge. It's a noxious weed in fields up and down the uh, country. Uh, a man has come up with an invention to deal with Ragworth. And we're going to have a chat with Jim O'Neill a little bit later on, Pat Keane, the founder of Reusey.ie, she's a very interesting woman, is joining us again on the whole theme of sustainability, the environment and the future of the planet. Sinead Kelly is here, a vet. Have you a question for her today about your dog, your cat, any other creature you have and you care for? Sinead can answer. If you want to get them into us, 086-1800-658. Again, the usual number, WhatsApp or text. I continue the story of Stevie Wonder in words and so and of course, we'd love to hear from you on the show this afternoon. But uh, today, uh, we begin on the show with one of our regular guests. No, he's not with us, is he not yet? Uh, no, he'll be with us shortly. Yes, he'll be with us in a moment. Professor Paul Moyner, we're just waiting for him to uh, join us here on the show. But in the meantime, I'll throw something out to you today that's been affecting me personally. Did you ever hear of number spoofing? Well, I've been the victim of it for a uh, a number of days now. I, when it happened first, I looked at my phone and to tell you the truth, I thought it was myself ringing myself. Do you know what I'm talking about? When the number came up on my phone, it had the first four digits of my phone number along with the prefix as well. And I thought to myself, I looked at it and I was going to answer and I let it ring out and I did nothing. And I waited to see would a message be left or what would happen. Nothing. The, the following day, the same number again rings me with four digits from my phone number in it. And once more, I hung back. It only rung once, I think, at that stage and off it went. And again, no message. And that's happened to me, I'd say about four or five times in the last week. Uh, it's called, I've been checking out, number spoofing. And the idea is, if you ring the number back, you know when the, a number rings and you miss a call, we're inclined to ring the number back and see who is it. Well, that's where you meet your Waterloo if you do that. Because if you ring the number back, I'm told you're ringing a premium number then and you're charged. And the charges start immediately when you ring back. And that's the way they get the cash from you. It's called number spoofing. The uh, various phone companies know about it all, right? 
But I just tell you today, in case you experience the same, that a number of rings that you think is similar to your own, don't answer it. Let it go. Let it go. And you'll find that, you know, they're just looking for you to ring them back. Anybody else a victim of number spoofing? Just throw it out to you this afternoon. If you have been, let me know on the usual numbers. I gave them to you a moment ago. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. But it's something I said I'd mention to you today uh, during the show. So as we're waiting for our first guest, no better time to do it. But he's on the line now. He's the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Professor Paul Miner, hello again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for joining us once more on the show. Have to start with this today because my buddies uh, who I meet uh, once a week said to me, make sure you ask them when you're talking to them next Tuesday. You, you've heard about this, I'm sure. Pat Kenny on News Talk speaking to Dr. Pierre Corey uh, last week about Invermectin, Paul. Is this a potential panacea to the COVID pandemic? I don't think it's a panacea. So there have been various reports in terms of its efficacy in terms of treatment and really the data isn't there as of yet Jerry in terms of you know supporting it as a treatment so you know we've heard along the way throughout the pandemic a number of there have been a number of false hopes in terms of you know potential treatments that would act to complement the vaccination program but this would be a treatment in terms of acting to suppress replication of the virus um, but at the moment, the, there is non-equivocal evidence there to support uh, its use at this stage, Jerry. OK, so watch this space, but not at the minute, Paul. No, no, no. That's it. That's it. Uh, thank you indeed for, for, for that one. Now, uh, there's a Ferrari going on at the moment, 40,000 in Croke Park, Paul, at the weekend. Yet the entertainment industry says they're being discriminated against. No gigs allowed. Can you reconcile? I can understand outdoor gigs. You know, Croke Park is outdoors, even though there's quite a number of people in proximity. Indoor gigs. What's your feeling? Yeah, I think the first thing to say, Jerry, I think it would be unfortunate. I don't think we should pit sort of one industry, one sector against the other. Uh, I think it's a really good thing, you know, to see sport back up. It's great, you know, in terms of the weekend. Okay, there may have been some concerns in terms of some of the... Um, close contact activity going on outside of, of the game but generally I think it's a really good thing uh, in terms of the live events industry again I, I think and I've said this Jerry I think they were probably being slow in terms of helping and supporting the reopening of some of those activities I thought the summer period was the time to do that we're now looking at where we're trying to do that at the same time as opening up schools as getting into the autumn winter months where viral transmission of respiratory viruses tend to be higher. So certainly I would favour in terms of, at least in terms of the live events industry, that certainly have the same opportunities, the same supports. Uh, again, we're coming very late in the day to, I still hear in terms of pilot programmes, in my view those pilot programmes should have been done much earlier during the summer. Some were done, but they were done in such a way that essentially all of the risk was removed. You remember one of the events, for example, in the Ivy Gardens, but that was designed in such a way that there was almost no risk associated with that event, whereas I thought that was the time to be doing pilot um, events, probably pilot events, again, with higher risk associated with them in terms of indoor events and looking at some of the measurements that would and some of the measures, excuse me, that would need to be put in place to mitigate some of those risks. So I think we're coming very late to this, but better late than never. 
But again, I think we need to begin to look at this and opening up those parts of society uh, that remain to be opened. Now, talking about reopening, schools reopening from this week on and teachers are making noises already about their concerns uh, and the new school term. What's your view? You know, the schools closed for quite a part of the last academic year, uh, finished out the year, thank God, into the summer and we had exams, etc. What do you say to teachers or to school authorities or to, you know, the uh, authorities who have to put in place, you know, what's needed to make schools as safe as possible? I'd probably say two things there, Jerry. One is I can't really envisage, you know, a situation that would justify the schools not opening. I think it's really, really important in terms of children have missed out on a lot over the last year and a half, like many sectors, but our young people, especially in terms of education, that has been badly, badly hit. So in that sense, I think every priority has to be given in terms of opening the schools and making sure that they do reopen. I have some sympathy in the sense that, again, I'm involved in some local management of a school. So I've seen some of the guidelines, for example, that was issued last week, in this case, to primary schools. And one of the things that does surprise me is that um, the, the focus doesn't really seem to be there in terms of where really we should be looking at the science and applying the science. And what I mean by that is there's still a lot of focus around hand sanitation, hand washing, which again is important. I don't want to downplay that as important, not only for COVID, but also various um, infectious uh, agents. But one of the other things is that we've learned now is that the risk from getting from contaminated surfaces, it is a risk, but it's a very, very low one. So the, the frequency of getting infections from contaminated surfaces is very low. We know now that predominantly this is an airborne disease. The virus is in the air, so in my view, there should have been more focus in terms of air quality. And that takes a number of different dimensions, first of all, in terms of ventilation. And again, there has been some focus on that. And for example, schools will be provided with a number of carbon dioxide monitors, which again, I think is a welcome move because that will give us a measure in terms of the freshness of the air and when the windows and doors need to be opened. But in some schools, especially our ageing schools, it's going to be difficult even to achieve that ventilation. So in that situation, I think we need to look at, you know, filtration systems, HEPA-filtered filtration systems. And even in terms of the guidelines that has come out in schools have got additional budgets, for example, especially around cleaning um, and, you know, allowing for that sort of deep cleaning to, to take place every day or on a very frequent basis. And in my view, some of that actually should have been more focused in terms of looking at air hygiene and, you know, funding some of these systems that would allow us to look to where the virus is, which is in the air and how it's transmitted. So that would be my views there, Jerry. I think schools have to be the priority. Um, but are we focusing the right things? Some of them are, yes. But more, I think, focus should be put in terms of air hygiene, air quality. Thanks, Paul, for that. Um, looking at the cases, uh, the numbers in ICU, those hospitalised, they're, they're high and, and they're remaining high as well at the moment. And Minister Donnelly announces just uh, late morning this morning, anyway, the government is going to press ahead with full reopening, should happen by Christmas time. Is there really now an acceptance that we've got to live with COVID? Yeah, I think generally, and it's generally accepted, Jerry, the virus isn't going to disappear. It's not going to be eradicated. We can try to control its transmission. 
But one of the challenges even coming up, and we've seen it from uh, data in Israel, and we probably shouldn't be too surprised about it, is that, you know, these breakthrough infections, so people who've been vaccinated, a number of people, and maybe you're aware of some people who've been doubly vaccinated or previously infected, also getting reinfected or infected for the first time post-vaccination. And the reason why that happens is, well, two reasons, really. One is when we produce antibodies, those antibodies tend to wane and disappear to large extents after four, five, six months. Now, we're still left with memory cells that if you're re-exposed to the virus, you can produce more antibodies. But there is a window there that, you know, you can get reinfected. And the other important point is the Delta variant. It probably can evade maybe some of that early immunity. But the important point is the vaccines still really work really well in terms of protecting us against serious illness. So I think at some point we're going to have to move the focus and the emphasis away from this focus on cases to the burden on the health system and especially in terms around hospitalisation and gauging our responses around that and when there is a need maybe to you know, maybe apply more restrictions or reintroduce more restrictions that that would be governed more in terms of the burden on the health system as opposed to cases many of which are mildly symptomatic some are asymptomatic so I think it's we really need to look at the actual direct burden on the health system to inform us in terms of our our policy going forward. Have we reached a critical mass now at the vaccinations? 6.6 million or so delivered some people a lot of people fully vaccinated some waiting on the second doses when will we be at the point, you know, where you say that, you know, there's a fair blanket across society? Are we near that now or have we exceeded that point? I, I think we've done a really fantastic job. And like a lot of, you know, people, organisations, including the HSE, has done a fantastic job in terms of rollout of the vaccination programme. You know, over the last six months, and we've spoken many times here, Jerry, in terms of this concept of herd immunity. and But again, I don't think herd immunity applies now in the sense that, Okay, we have these breakthrough infections so that the idea of herd immunity, it's sort of its origin is sort of an animal context in terms of if you uh, vaccinate enough of the population for those who aren't vaccinated or can't be vaccinated decide not to be vaccinated, the rest of the population is protected. So you get that herd type protective effect. But in this case, because of these breakthrough infections, even if you're vaccinated, there is some risk. Okay, a small percentage, but there is a risk that you will get uh, reinfected. So because of that, it's very difficult to think about this herd immunity. And I think we're going to drift in and out of herd immunity. And then you'll probably see outbreaks at different times in the year and probably in the winter months. But importantly, we have most of the people, most of the people will be vaccinated so that even if they're infected, for most of us, we'll be reasonably well protected. We may see some mild symptoms, but most of us will be protected from some severe illness. Now, some people, a low percentage, unfortunately, will get sick even despite being vaccinated. And unfortunately, there will be some deaths. But again, it's trying to, we're probably comfortable and we've come, you know, accustomed to accept, accepting and tolerating a certain burden from other infectious agents like, for example, influenza and flu, whereas we haven't quite got to the stage in terms of that discussion, I think, in terms of accepting what's the acceptable burden from COVID in terms of serious illness and health. But from a vaccination, I think we're in a really good place. Uh, We're getting to the stage now, we're obviously moved into 12 to 15-year-olds, probably maybe over a third of them are already vaccinated. But remember, there is a cohort from the newly borns to 12 and they remain unvaccinated and no vaccines have currently been approved. There are trials going on. So there is a significant, you know, 
cohort of the population there that will remain unvaccinated, vulnerable to some degree, but thankfully in terms of children, most of the cases in children are very mild, not asymptomatic, which is probably one of the few positive things that has emerged from the pandemic. Just in a general sense, before we finish, there was a very interesting programme on Channel 4. I think it was possibly Sunday night I was watching about where this thing began. And of course, the focus was on Wuhan again, the lab there, uh, the wet markets, etc., etc. And I watched it for an hour and I tried to, you know, come to a conclusion myself. What did I think? Did it escape from the lab accidentally, which has happened in the past? It shouldn't happen, we know, Paul. Uh, or is it a natural occurring thing that made its way into the human system in another manner? Just two things. Why is it important to establish that? Have you a view and do you think we'll ever know? Yeah, I think it is, I think it is important in the sense that and to a degree the jury's still out on that. I think initially it was rejected. But there was a possibility that this may have you know, leaked from a lab or whatever. Um, and again, the discussion around that was prompted by the fact that I think some what we would call gain-of-function research was being done. So what gain-of-function means is maybe isolating a virus from the environment or some animal or whatever, and then genetically engineering that virus to make it more infectious, for example. You could do that for a variety of sort of research-associated uh, reasons. Uh, so is it possible then that a lab, inadvertently, but as part of its research, may have created a virus that was more infectious, and then that as a result of escape, and not necessarily escape, but that maybe some people, some of the workers in the laboratory became infected, and then they become sources for a new infection. So it is important, Terry, in terms of understanding that if that were the case, uh, to ensure that that didn't happen again. But even in a situation which is probably slightly more likely that it is of natural origin and it is a zoonotic infection and there is a jump from a virus that has infected, you know, bats and, you know, pangolins or whatever the source, the animal source is, and then it jumps to humans. But it is important to understand that process so that if, you know, for example, the next pandemic, in terms of understanding that, and I think we need to understand, and there's this sort of discipline called One Health, where we look at health-related problems, not just in terms of human health, but also put that in the context of animal health and environment as well. And if we understand that and how viruses can jump between species, and especially, especially from animal hosts to ourselves, that's really important to understand because that may give us important clues in terms of preventing something like this from happening again or if not preventing, at least, at least minimising the risk. And interesting, just to finish, they did refer, of course, to foot and mouth. You'd be familiar with that escape from a lab in the UK, didn't it, when the last outbreak happened in our time? Yes, these, these, these things can happen and you know that's why we have really highly regulated facilities, not only in this country but worldwide. But the, the degree of regulation can vary quite a lot from country to country, Jerry. Here, we're very, very tightly regulated and healthy, health and safety is of paramount importance. In some countries, maybe the regulation isn't as strict. But I, I think that's sort of at a global level. That's something you probably need to look at in terms of, you know, this research to make sure it's really heavily regulated and controlled to avoid any possibility of sort of high-risk events taking place. Paul, as usual, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome, Jerry. Take care. That's uh, Professor Paul Moynier there, head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. That programme was so interesting on Sunday night. And I have to tell you, as I sit here today, I still can't make up my mind. I'd have a suspicion it came from the lab. You'd have to have. But did it really? Will we ever know? Only time will tell. 
Jerry, I had a load of those missed calls yesterday and I couldn't believe how similar the number was to my own. Similar experience to yourself. Yeah, it's happening quite a lot lately. Don't ring it back. Don't count them ba- go back to them at all because you'll be filleted for cash. I was telling you yesterday I was going to go out and cut the grass last evening. But I'll tell you one thing. Am I sorry I ever gave it a bit of a feed before the dry spell? Holy God almighty. It was like coming to it at the very first cut of the year after not cutting it through the autumn and winter. Anyway, got it done by Jeepers. It'll get another Clement, I'll tell you, before the end of the week as well. I'm not going to be... I think I have 10 massive bags to go to recycling, which they will uh, this afternoon. Now, Billy Connolly. Billy, he's living with Parkinson's at the minute and it's tough. It's a tough time in his life. But he must be thrilled because he's been honoured with a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Edinburgh TV Festival. What a comedian. I saw him live on three occasions in my lifetime and I'm not joking you. I thought I'd have to go to hospital with the pain in my side with the laughter. Anyway, in tribute to the great man who's been rightfully awarded today, let's have a little bit of Billy Connolly. Me and my daughter Cara, right. And we both, she, she found it very funny as well. Now, it was an incredibly simple thing, but it usually is a simple thing that makes me roar. One of those menus with nothing on it. You know those menus with no information? I don't know why they bother giving you the fucking thing. It's got things like soup of the day. So you then have to ask what it is. What is the soup of the day? Because you can't just say, I'll have soup of the day. You know, a shot in the dark. It might be octopus arsehole soup. Right. Right, so soup of the day is nothing. Just get a pencil, pen, right? The kind of fucking soup it is. Too much to ask. Vegetables. Vegetables in season. It could be pumpkins or frozen peas or Japanese mushrooms. You've no fucking idea. So you can't just say, I'll have the veggies in season. I might be a big pile of this. You don't know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? The fish catch of the day. What is it? Fucking whale or a jellyfish? Or what are we talking here? Some ugly fucking thing that lives at the bottom of the ocean you've never seen before. It's got three arseholes and horns. You know what I mean? So you... I just... I lose faith. Or, or even worse, they'll send some limp wristed to tell you the specials. And here's today's special. What do you mean specials? There's call on here. What about the ordinaries? Right. Well, today's special is the filet of monkfish on a bed of sautéed beetroot with balsamic vinaigrette. F- cough. Just cough. Write it down. Bring it out. In my country, this is called a menu. Give it to me. I will peruse the aforesaid menu. And when I'm ready for you, I'll call. You'll know me when I call. It'll be like, how? And you come and ask me and I'll tell you what I want. (laughs) Just like they used to do before. Ah, the man himself in flight, in full flight, in his pomp, Billy Conley. I remember going with a good friend of mine, John Madden, I worked with in Aircom, and his wife and Miriam to see him in the Gaiety Theatre many moons ago. And I thought John would not recover from the laughter, I have to tell you that. And everybody in the audience, he was just sensational. And that sums the man up there. He spots it in the ordinary, the little things, and he can make such humour of it. Congratulations, 
Billy Connolly on your Rightful Lifetime Achievement Award. Coming up after two, Sinead Kelly, questions for the vet? 086-1800-658. Get them into us now by WhatsApp or text. But taking us to news and weather at two, it's something happens. There's a parachute. Thank God I'm safe. Take a parachute and jump. You can't stay here forever. When everyone else is gone. Been all alone, won't seem that clever. Take a parachute and go. There's gonna have to be some danger. Take a parachute and jump. You're gonna have to take flight. So you'd have to be upbeat, wouldn't you, reading a weather forecast like that? Now, just to remind you, the Premier League is back and this Saturday we'll have live commentary from three Premier League matches on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on our LMFM website. First up, it's Lambs to the Slaughter. Manchester City against Arsenal at half past twelve. At three o'clock, it's West Ham against Crystal Palace, while Chelsea take on Liverpool at Anfield in the evening game at half past five. That is a cracking match. Premier League Live with now your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. I was watching West Ham last night. Well, between it and the golf, or oh, the golf, Tony Fino won the golf in America last night. It was delayed by a day, the Northern Trust uh, Tournament. Oh, what a course. Uh, you're looking into Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty. It's a wonderful story. But anyway, Fino hasn't won in years and years. And he won a playoff last night. I think the world was delighted for him because he's been in the top 10, I think, 40-something times and not won. And he won last night. So it just shows you if at first you don't succeed try try again has to be the message but I watched the hammers they hammered Leicester last night they're flying always knew it David Moyes a great manager Manchester United acted far too hastily they really did he should have been left at Old Trafford I'll tell you one thing the fella that's there at the minute I have me doubts to be honest with you anyway you need this number now you really do 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number because she's one of our most valued regulars and I'm delighted to say hello to her again Sinead Kelly hello Hi, Jerry. I'm just laughing listening to you uh, raving about West Ham. Ewan would be delighted. Uh, my son, he's, uh, for some bizarre, inexplicable reason, the world's biggest West Ham fan. Uh. So, uh, so West Ham is often discussed in our household. <laughs> They're top of the league. Tell them to enjoy what's uh, yeah, rare. Yes, what's <laughs> rare is wonderful, I'll say, Sinead. Anyway, first, before we get into uh, the questions we have already from listeners, can I ask you, how is my good friend Cleo? Cleo, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she's had a tough few days now, so she had a little, um, we call it a vestibular episode. Um, it, it's kind of a little bit like a kind of mini stroke, I suppose. So on Thursday night, so she was very poorly for about 24 hours. She couldn't stand. Oh, there she is in the background now. Uh, she couldn't stand. Um, she was very, very wobbly. And then in the last, in the last, sorry, apologies. This really is live radio. Um, in the last few days now, she's just beginning to feel a little bit better. So uh, hopefully now, please God, she'll start to, she'll uh, improve a little bit kind of day by day as we go. Ah, oh, good to hear because we miss her when she came in here. She's just a darling oh, in the she studio is. here. Baby. Yep. Yeah, yes, indeed. she really was. Anyway, uh, let's get into the first of our questions. Alyssa wants to know, Jerry, when you've Sinead on with you, it is wasp season. It oh, certainly yeah. is at the moment, and I'm worried for my little pooch because uh, there's a lot of wasps about. 
What about dogs and being stung? What does Sinead advise? Is it dangerous? This is from a listener. Well, I mean, yeah, every every year, this time of year, we get a lot of people coming in and their, their dog has uh, been stung by a wasp or less commonly the calf. So it is common. It can happen. Um, what I try and encourage people to do is, for example, if your animals are in the house and the wasps are coming in the windows, um, try and catch the wasps and get them out yourself without being stung. If you can, if you're not allergic or anything like that uh, to, to the things, or keep your animals away from them because um, that they will come commonly get stung because the, the dog and cat's reaction to the wasp is to kind of investigate and have a sneak around um, and the stung in, in the kind of basic form the sting you know it'll be painful it'll be inflamed you'll get a little bit of swelling at the site now for the majority of animals that's all that will happen um, but some animals can go into what's called anaphylactic shock you know similar to what people will be aware of happens to, to humans uh, some humans who are allergic to wasp stings or to peanuts or to various different things so anaphylaxis is, is, is a life threat extreme systemic uh, overwhelming you know hyperimmune response where where the body is just very confused and reacts very excessively to, to what would really be quite an innocuous threat um, and so in a very 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 small number of cases you know potentially if they're stung by a wasp that could lead to problems with breathing problems with circulation so what I tend to say to people is try and avoid it if possible if you can't if it happens um, the first thing to do is you have some puritan at home just the ordinary puritan antihistamine um, that can be given to uh, to dogs, uh, no problem. That'll help to kind of reduce any swelling irritation. And then phone your vet for, vet for a little bit of advice. Now, as I say, most times the dog will just have a little bit of swelling, a bit of inflammation, and it will settle down of its own accord. Um, if it doesn't, um, or if the swelling is, say, affecting the neck or the throat or the mouth, or if the dog becomes, uh, or the cat becomes wheezy or has breathing difficulties, or if you open up, lift up their, their lips and their, their colour of their membranes is pale, then that, that's an emergency, a real emergency, and you need to get to your vet straight away. But as I say, that is the kind of one in a million case. For everybody else who gets stung, it's going to be a little bit uncomfy, a little bit swollen. Um, so I would always say to owners, have some Puritan in the house, four milligram Puritan. A small dog can take half uh, to one four milligram tablet. Uh, a larger dog, maybe one to two tablets and they're very good at bringing down any swelling or irritation and if that's not working uh, then phone your vet and they might need to go and get something a little bit um, maybe some they might need to get low dose corticosteroid but it happens a lot um, the only case I've ever seen of anaphylaxis was when a Springer Spaniel of course it would be a Springer Spaniel uh, stuck his head in a wasp nest and he literally came into me and he just had thousands of wasps all over him um, which was a problem for all of us and he had gone into anaphylaxis so um, so yeah all these things are, are possible so just be sensible don't be in a panic about it but watch out for it again often we get people coming in and the dog maybe has a history or the cat of having maybe a swollen lip or the face is a bit swollen and nobody really knows what's happened and at this time of year we'd be suspicious that they've had a bit of a sting from wasp so thanks. yeah good advice there that's to, uh, good advice yes yeah. Sinead thanks indeed for that you must be psychic as well because our next question is actually about a Springer Spaniel uh, a Springer Spaniel a 10 year old our Springer I'll read it full uh, we have a 10 year old Springer Spaniel and uh, she has arthritis. Uh, I just want to ask Sinead, are there any supplements we can give and what's her advice on exercise? Okay, well, the first thing to do if you think uh, your dog is arthritic or stiff or sore or lame is, is contact your vet. And strangely, it always surprises me, but it does happen. A lot of people are afraid to contact their vet because some people think, oh God, the dog has become arthritic, stiff, sore, lame. There's nothing can be done. They think they're going to bring the dog to the vet and the vet is going to say in a very stern voice, you must put the dog to sleep. Uh, now, we don't behave like that ever as vets. Um, so there's lots and lots of things that can be done if your dog is stiff and arthritic. So um, normally your, your vet will need to examine the dog um, 
less commonly in cats it, it also does occur find out you know which joints are causing a problem is there arthritis sometimes that will be you know you'll get a presumptive diagnosis from a clinical exam or sometimes your vet might, might advise some, some x-rays um, and then the, there's a few different kind of pillars of treatment the, the first pillar will be what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs so a little bit uh, what people would know as say ibuprofen or diclofenac um, what I would say here, though, is that you must not give, you know, human anti-inflammatories to dogs um, or cats uh, because they can be be fatal to them. So definitely don't don't do any kind of home dosing. Um, essentially, there are you know specific um, you know products that are licensed for treating dogs and not very many at all for cats. And so anti-inflammatories would be a, a big mainstay. Normally, because these drugs can can have maybe potential side effects on liver and kidneys, we advise getting some blood a blood test done to check that liver and kidneys are okay and they'd be monitored every kind of few months. So that's number one treatment. And for a lot of people, that, a lot of animals, that'd be very helpful. Um, number two, um, the thing about exercise is very important because actually what we don't want to do is the dog or cat to be totally rested and restricted and, and nothing happened because then you'll get muscle wasted, you'll get stiffening up. So you want a little bit of gentle exercise. So um, if you have a dog who likes swimming, uh, bringing them to a river or um, you know the beach or somewhere where there's a little bit of water, that's very good. Or in more extreme cases, a little bit like when Cleo had her hydrotherapy after her spinal surgery, you can actually, there are um, veterinary, physio and hydrotherapy centres and your dog can have hydrotherapy and the, the great thing about that, as people are probably aware, is that the dog can exercise and move the muscles and move the joints but but their weight is being supported by the by the water, by the buoyancy of the water so they're not weight bearing on, on sore limbs, so that can be very, very effective um, the next thing that's that can be very good or what we call nutraceuticals. So it's a very fancy name for what we call um, any kind of dietary um, additive that is essentially a pretty natural product, so it's not a drug as such, um, but they have been shown to be effective at, at helping with uh, joints and cartilage. And so, um, as probably a lot of uh, people know, so, for example, a lot of humans would maybe take uh, supplements that would have chondroitin or glycosaminoglycans and different things like that. And in a similar way, these products are, are very effective for dogs. So there are a couple of licensed products now you can get for dogs that have the, the right balance of, of these different products that help with joint fluid and cartilage in particular. Um, and again, if you speak to your vet, they'll be able to recommend them. Uh, and again, there's something you can add to the food. Or another alternative is some of the, the veterinary uh, food manufacturers make a specific kind of joint-based diet and the diet itself is, is kind of full of all these special nutraceuticals that, that can help. Um, so that's, that's another little um, help. And then your next kind of you know, things you can do if we're maybe not responding so well to non-steroidals, um, you can add in additional what we call you know, centrally acting analgesics. So um, there's a drug called gabapentin, which is very good for, for nerve pain, and another drug called tramadol, both of which are, are actually human drugs. Um, there's now a, a licensed tramadol product for, for dogs, um, and we actually on occasion would use gabapentin off license so what that means is that it, it doesn't have a license as a, as a treatment for, for, for dogs but there's so many studies done that, are, that show it's safe and effective that we say to owners well this product doesn't have a license but it is you know going to be very beneficial are you happy for us to try that and then the next other options then um, there are um, there's a drug called Cartrophen which uh, comes in the form of, of a monthly injection you can get that once a month for four weeks and you can repeat that every six months and that again has a very positive beneficial effect on joint fluid and cartilage so that helps some dogs that are maybe you know not responding so well to, to other treatments um, so that would be kind of the, the main yes. day of, of what we would do so lots yeah. and lots of different options mm. so please don't be sitting at home thinking I daren't go to the vet because they're going 
down and say there's nothing we can do because there's so much we can do. Yes. Um, but definitely don't start meddling at home doing your own uh, meds for the dog and particularly not for the cat. Cats cannot take paracetamol at all. They cannot take neurofen at all. Ibuprofen, you will kill them mm. with literally a very, very small okay. dose. Uh, dogs, we're, we're able now to give them a very low dose of paracetamol but again, it's got to be done under veterinary supervision. Okay. So please, my one message, don't, don't, uh, don't try it at home because every, nearly every week I would say I would see animals out of hours that the owners have thought you know they were doing something good and they've given human medications and, and they've caused a lot of problems mm. now next one uh, had our cat two-year-old cat neutered in January uh, she's put on an awful lot of weight since we mm. seem to be feeding her as normal now she does disappear says the listener from mm. time to time uh, any uh, suggestions yeah, as things you could do. First of all, after neutering, the normal advice is to cut your kind of daily ration by about, you know, say a third uh, or a quarter. So either cut down the amount you're feeding them or maybe switch to a lot of the, if you go for the kind of higher end of the, the pet diet range, um, there are diets that are tailored for neutered animals or animals that are requiring a little bit of weight loss. And so they'll have maybe higher fiber, fewer calories, lower fat. Um, and so in essence, the, the animal is, 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 is able to eat a little bit more and be, be well satisfied and filled but they're not consuming so many calories so have a chat with your vet maybe about a, a diet program that you can put the cat or the dog on um, and then the other thing to do is yeah find out is the cat being fed elsewhere now you can buy these little they're called paper collars and so literally I think you can actually get them in, in any office or station or supply it's literally like a little strip of paper with a sticky bit on one end you can put it around the cat's neck it's very safe because it'll tear if, if the cat gets stuck somewhere by it but you can write on this piece of paper so often what I say to people is right, you know, my name is Ginger, you know, I live with, you know, blah, 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 number 10, you know, please don't feed me because I am, you know, have health problems and, and being overweight is going to affect me. And often I hear great stories back from clients that they have great little conversations and meet neighbours they didn't know they had, but it's just a way of communicating with yeah. whoever is maybe feeding the cat. So it sounds silly, but it works. It really, really does That's work. Um, so you know, interesting. So yeah, indeed it, it definitely, is. Because cats are so clever, you know, they, yeah. they decide to take a fist of vapours and go and visit the neighbours and somebody down the road and there might be a different brand of cat food or different things and you know, in this instance obviously it's the same as in humans you know we're all going to be healthier if we're not overweight so being overweight is going to cause health problems to dogs and cats as it does to humans and also say for example if you have an animal or a cat in particular because they go off wandering who has maybe specific you know medical problem or is on certain medication or a specific needs you know it's it's for example if you have a diabetic cat and it's going visiting the neighbours and being given you know a whole pile of cake you know, it's really not going to do very much good. So, so think of getting some of these paper collars as, as well. But definitely speak to your vet about maybe you know reducing the diet or or, or changing the diet to help in reducing um, you know weight gain. And again, it sounds silly, but it works very well. You know, you can exercise your cat in the same way you can your dog. You just have to be a bit ingenious. So you can invest in different cat toys and, and special little balls and things to literally have you know periods during the day when you're doing a bit of exercise, when you're getting the cat running around, when you're getting them playing, getting them active because cats have it all down to a T let's face it they sleep a lot they eat they go back to sleep they have a bit of a wander they look out the window they go and potter around the garden you know they really it's it's pretty sedentary or sedentary lifestyle for cats so it's very easy to gain weight like that so you do have to be careful so the, that, that um, caller is very wise now to be investing
investigating that. Oh, God, there you go. So if a cat wanders into your garden with a message on its yeah. collar, you can say, I heard Sinead Kelly yeah, speaking yeah. about that on LMFM Radio. Yeah. Sinead, look, you're fantastic. Until the next time, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Absolutely. See you soon. Take care. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Vet Sinead Kelly there. And isn't she just unbelievable? She is an encyclopedia. She can deal with any question. And we thank her for her expertise, as usual, on the show. Late Lunch LMFM Radio, still to come this afternoon. I'm looking forward to having a chat with Pat Kane. She's the founder of Reusey.ie and a really, really interesting woman. She'll be talking to us about sustainability and why there are many questions surrounding it and what uh, she does and how she manages her home and life. She's so interesting. She'll be with us shortly on the show. Gart Brooks and the dance on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon, April 1990. We're going back to with that one there. His signature song, the song he says that made him. Isn't that a big one when you hear a man saying that, that that was the song that really launched his career? And it was. Number one in the USA country charts. Those are the country charts that really count around the world. And, of course, the rest is history with Mr. Brooks. We never got to see him in Dublin. That's the only thing. He didn't get to that Croker gig. Remember all the furore around that? Jerry, I had uh, a great evening last evening. Definitely blowing bubbles all night. I take it that comes from a West Ham supporter. I'm forever blowing bubbles. The bubbles, they released them all around the stadium before and after the game. By God, the bubbles are bubbling, certainly with the hammers at the moment. I was soft spot for them. They're a lovely club. They've always played great football, moved to that new stadium in London and struggled a bit since they did, like others as well. Uh, but they're finding their groove now for sure. Back in Europe this year and playing great football. They always did play wonderful attacking football. I remember Clive Best and Bobby Moore and Peters and all those type of players with them. Oh, they were fantastic. Billy Bonds, uh, remember that team and that era so well. Wonderful, wonderful side. They really are. Um, now, what else was it to say? Yes, um, Listen to this. Fresh in from the United States to late lunch this afternoon. When I was 15 years old, I was working uh, weekends at Dundalk Shopping Centre taking in trolleys. Someone inquired if I wanted to work over the weekend in Dundalk Town Hall. Not one for turning down work hour, Mr McKenna. Nigel, that is. I showed up and was given a job to shine and keep the spotlight on... Billy Connolly as he walked around the stage. Oh, good man, Nigel. The best paid job I ever had for three days' work, says Nigel. We were talking about Billy earlier. We uh, played an extract from one of his uh, shows. Brilliant. And he's been honoured with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, there's a PS from Nigel in New York City. Unfortunately, I seem to have never-ending stories. My boys sometimes look at me and go, Oh, Dad. Listen, Nigel. Life is a story. It is, and the stories are what makes life. And paint the picture and tell them and remind them of the past because it is so important. Lovely to hear from you again, Nigel. Nigel had a bit of a... I think he had, it fell off a lather, Louise. Did you hear this? Oh, or Nigel? Right? I think he did. I think he had a slip in a lather. He'll probably let us know, but I think he's all right now. Uh, he he's got some a, man to meet all the celebrities. Oh, this Donald man. Donald Trump, well, Paris I tell Hilton, you, he, Billy Connolly. He's the man. He is the man, for sure, Louise. Anyway, what about that news emanating from our neighbours in uh, Great Britain? No milkshakes in McDonald's. We have them in Ireland. La, na, 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 na. <laughs> Haven't we? We have loads of milkshakes in Ireland. We have. That's what you get for Brexit. <laughs> you have no bloody milkshakes at McDonald's. <laughs> you like your milkshakes? 
No. <laughs> sure all that. No. No. Why do you not like a milkshake? I, I, could, I couldn't give a At toss all. for a milkshake. Not a toss for one. I, <laughs> if I got one, I'd probably drink it, but... You know, no. Do you like them? Love them. What flavour? brain freeze. Um, strawberry. Dip your chips into them. That's my thing. Oh, japers! Go out with that. Oh, it's fabulous. I can just see Farrah with the with the with the tumbler <laughs> and the milkshake, taking a big slug out of it and pouring the bag of chips in and no, giving them the shake get, around. No, you just get one chip and dip it oh, in. It's lovely. You don't douse them all. In it. No. Well, that's the queerest combination I ever heard. Don't talk to me about try eating it, queer try foods. It, try it before you knock it. Um. Lovely. Banana. Love banana. Hate chocolate. Mm. There you go. I'm not a milkshake fan. I really ain't. I, I'm not as such. But there you go. That's just me. People absolutely adore them. But that's so the story. So it wouldn't affect you. Doesn't affect me. Doesn't affect you. One little bit. And doesn't affect us here in Europe. It doesn't affect us in Europe at all. Mm. We have loads of milk and loads of milkshakes and McDonald's are full of them. KFC has been hit as well in the UK. They have. They because have. of shortage of lorry drivers, I think, because of the post-Brexit. They've, um, they've all gone. Lots of them have gone back into in Europe EU, yeah, to work. Yeah. And they've, they've left and there's jobs. Look, at the, it's a vacuum and it'll be filled, I'm sure, with people coming in. So there's any amount want to get into the UK, you can see it crossing from France every day. And they'll be taking in more people now, of course, from uh, Afghanistan. But uh, will they work? Uh, will they work as lorry drivers? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I, I, I doubt it. It's only a, a niche, really, as such. But there you go. McDonald's uh, milkshakes. Anyway, if you want to... No, you better not fly over. We don't <laughs> want you... <laughs> we can't say that either. But stay where you are for the time being. Stay where you are. You're OK until we get this old COVID thing sorted. Anyway, no milkshakes in the UK. That's the big news today, along with... What do you call that other thing? Love Island, the biggest news what is the world yeah, you coming that finished to? weeks ago. <laughs> what is the world coming to? Anyway, there you have it. Trivia indeed. Late lunch, LMFM radio. It's not trivia next, it's serious stuff because we can all play our part. Pat Kane, the founder of Reusey, is with us. I hate milkshakes, Jerry. I can't abide them, says a listener. So there's somebody else there in my club, at least at the minute. I'll tell you the only milkshake I love. It's black Almost to the top of the glass with a lovely creamy white head. Mother's milkshake. That's what I call it. That's the one that I really love. Oh, yes, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. There's no bubbles in it either, to be honest with you. Anyway, moving on on late lunch this afternoon. You know, uh, since the UN report issued uh, a couple of weeks back, reminding us that we're in a perilous position on this little planet of ours and that the future of humankind is threatened. We've been touching base with a number of people on the whole issue of sustainability and the future. And I'm delighted to say today I'm joined by eco-educator, writer, speaker and founder of Sustainable Story, Uzi.ie, Pat Kane. Hello, Pat. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me on the show today. And I'll tell you where I want to start. I think you'd be a little proud of me. I was uh, I dropped down early this morning to the Irish Cancer Society charity shop with three big bags and Pat, everything in it was spick and span. My wife insisted, folded, great condition. There were even things with labels on them. The wear, Pat, the wear. But anyway, I handed them in. And I want to start from that point because you say, and I was reading recently, you say, unfortunately, charity shops are becoming a dumping ground. Discuss. Yes. That's true. So 
we we're working on this, I suppose, with this mindset that it's okay to bring whatever we don't want to a charity shop. Uh, but we don't really think about what's going to happen to those items when we drop them there, right? We don't think, it's, is it in good enough conditions for someone else to be either buying or wearing it or using it if it's a household item, for example? You know, we're just bringing it there. We're feeling good about ourselves, but we're not really thinking much about what happens with the, the item or the items after you drop to the place. So a lot of the charity shops are reporting to be receiving basically like dirty clothes, dirty underwear, you you know, and whatnot, because people are just like, I don't no longer want, I have no space for it. I just want to buy new stuff. You know, fast fashion is here for this. Um, so I'm just going to drop everything there and it doesn't matter. I feel good. But it's not really how it works. It's going to shoot and work like that, I guess. So basically, folks, the message is if you're donating, please donate stuff that's in good condition, that mm. is clean and can go to somebody else. Because that other stuff that you mentioned that's not usable again, that is dirty and that, that in, in effect is going to create even greater environmental problems. Yeah, because they they will have no other alternative but to bin it, and yeah. it will end up in landfill. You can't really recycle clothes, for example. You you can upcycle, you can you know chop and change, but you can't recycle. So it would end up in landfill. Worst case scenario, you know. What do you say, you know, with old worn clothes and that? Is there a use for them? I see at home they're often used as rags or dusters. Yeah, I would strongly say, like, yeah, use as rags as much as you can you know, hand towels, uh, if you have pets, amazing for pets, you know, like wiping here and there if you have babies or kids, same. Uh, You can bring a few of like old, say, um, bed linen or pillows, that sort of thing. Some of the animal trust, you know, charities, they will take them. But I would say try to use them at home, you know, if not as rags, can you donate it to someone? Can you pass it on? Can you go to, you know, maybe a place and try to transform them into something new? An old dress can turn into a skirt and that sort of thing as well. Mm, so upcycling, you're a big fan of. I, I, I know that. Donating hand-me-downs. Now, I've seen you waxing lyrical about this. You think this is one of the best ways to ensure that maximum value is uh, attained from garments. 100%. So I have two boys, for example, and my second baby, we like to say that his favorite shop is the Black Sack Boutique. <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically, it's his first brother, you know, the eldest fella, you know, everything that he owns, you know, is now going down to the little guy, which is perfect. You know, he obviously, they, they don't have a clue, right? They're just happy to have something. And if it has a little Spider-Man, you know, stamped on it even better. So he doesn't know what new means. It's new to him and that's perfect. So I'm a huge fan. It's great for the planet and it's great for our pockets. So why not? Well, yeah. my daughter, I, you know why I laughed there? My daughter, Sarah, and I have a son, Jared, and they're grown up and they have their own children now. But Sarah often says, if we look back at old photographs, look at me in Jared's <laughs> clothes. <laughs> but listen, listen, we got maximum value and did it do her any harm? Not a bit of it. No, no, not a bit. You're laughing at it, which is great. Yes, no, yes, and it gives us all a smile as well, I have to say. Now, yeah. I, I want to ask you this. You know in this world of ours now, there's nothing but driving on growth, you know, drive the profit levels of all the big companies across the world, expansion, 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 which means that there 
inculcating a consumption regardless mentality. You know what I'm talking about in, yeah. in, in, in most everybody around this planet. How do we move away from this? I think the first thing to do is really to stop and look at what you own, right? Um, have you been wearing, so for clothing, which is a good example here, you know, have you been wearing what you own? How many times have you worn a piece that you bought, say, last summer? You know, we're in Ireland. You don't have to buy dresses, for example, or swimming clothes every every year, right? Uh, you barely get to wear them once a year. Um, so have a look at what you own. You know, start getting into that mindset. Do I actually need something else? You know, there are campaigns out there pushing people to buy. When they're buying a piece, you know, can you, are you make, make sure that you think you're going to wear that for at least 30 wears, right? 30, are you going to wear something for t- like 30 times um, to make sure you make the most of it? But I, I'm not really a big fan of those things. I'm just thinking, is it something that you love very much? It's something that you bought because, you know, you thought it was pretty or comfortable, whatever it is. Great. Take care of it. You know, it's meant to last. Uh, clothing and as well as everything else, things are meant to last as long as we take good good care of them. Um, you know, I think it's really important for us to stop, you know, and almost like a, a self-intervention. You know, let me look at what I own, what I have here, and if I do need something, fair enough. You know, and then when you're out there, if you find something you like, the question you need to ask yourself is, do I need it or do I want it, you know? It's really a lot of work within yourself to try to realize that you already own a lot of things. And, you know, although there's a lot of temptation out there, do you need them? Or is it just a want that, you know, overnight would disappear during sleep? Need versus want. Keep that in our minds. That is the key factor. And I love your slogan, get more wear and take more care. And that really does, you know, ensure that at least those 30 wears or maybe even more uh, happens. This shocked me. Um, The average garment... Uh, is worn or in possession of uh, an average amount of people for nine to twelve months, and then goes to landfill. Yeah, that's that's it. You know, fast fashion since its inception, I guess, back in the nineties when it really became a thing. You know, has done nothing but harm to our society, our mental health, and obviously our planet. You know, um, we are looking at things as trends, as it's cute now, not tomorrow. You know, today, not tomorrow. Um, and that's not really how it should be. You know, if you look at pieces that our grandparents, our parents uh, owned, they would wear things until things were falling, you know, mm. of their bodies, like, you know, turn into like thread. Um, and now we have this thing that's like, no, the latest, the latest. You have fast fashion brands online launching collections every single day. You no longer have four seasons. You have 365 seasons because every day is a new season and there are new launches hitting their websites. You know, if you think of the young crowd, you know, guys that are literally hitting their teenager years now, etc. You know, what what is that teaching them? Nothing good, in my opinion. It's really teaching them that, you know, clothes are disposable. Um, you know, it's okay to just get rid of them once you're, you've worn once, once it showed, appeared on your social media once. You know, they don't want to repeat their outfits and all of that. I go around doing a lot of talks for schools and businesses, and, and it's, it's shocking when I'm in certain schools that kids really like, I can't repeat my outfits. 
you know, on yes. social media. And you're like, oh my goodness, you can. There's there's such a thing as accessorizing, you know, wearing with a jacket or something like that. And, and they're like, oh, well, mind blowing. And you're like, oh my goodness, what has fast fashion done to those kids? You know, and, you know, these whole celebrities and all of the media pressure. And I keep saying, you know, they're not going to make you happier or more fulfilled. They're going to make your wardrobe busier, but not happier, you know, mm-hmm. or not even better. Because those things, they're made from cheap uh, fabrics, not meant to last. You know, I joke that if you buy something at those high street shops and you put it on a, a wash on, you know, you're going to come out with like a miniature of that jumper at the end because they, those things sh- shrink and they are just a disaster. So, it, yeah, it, the statistics that you have there, it's all correct. And uh, it's really sad to watch, I guess. It is. Buy less, buy better has to be uh, the message to, to everybody today. Um, you know, besides the environment and the planet, we have to mention the exploitation of people in poorer parts of the world. That's part of this whole thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So labour conditions are a major factor. You know, if you just Google fast fashion factories or sweatshops, you will immediately see, you know, um, lots of cases of verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, not to mention, obviously, the completely miserable conditions when it comes to wages and all of that. And we, like, I joke, but it's not really a joke that, you know, that T-shirt that says empowered, you know, the person who made that halfway across the, the, the planet, you know, is feeling nothing at all like empowerment, you know, and um, they're feeling miserable. And but we don't think about it. We just think it's nice and trendy. It costs eight euro. So happy days. Off you go. Um, again, as I said to you, it's really a bu- like a big work around our mindset, our mentalities and trying to understand you might be a bit more for a well-made, locally made, you know, um, piece of garment, a garment. But, you know, um, you will know that someone is making a living wage and being well treated, etc. If you start to research your favorite brands and there's an app that I would recommend your listeners to download called Good On You. You know, you can check every single brand you love. It's there and they are rated by, you know, all of those factors like labor conditions, materials used, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll be shocked by by what comes out mm. if you just, you know, search yes. for your favorite brand, whatever that is. What is that app again? Just repeat it, please. Good on you. Okay, good on you. That's very good just to do that. Have a look at that app. Good on you. And uh, you will see uh, the information behind uh, where you're getting your fashion brands, etc. from. Just before we finish up, you're on the High Street in South Dublin and Fox Rock with your store. You're online as well with reusey.ie and you have a vast array. I was having a, a gander around this morning. Uh, going well for you? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, we're here, like we are alive, I guess, as a business for over three years now. Um, we were the first, I suppose, in our in our you know category. I suppose, you know, we offer refills in store. We offer over a thousand products online and in store. So there's a lot going on, and we're also available uh, in Joyce, a supermarket in Osnacar and Galway, which is very exciting. Um, so so far so good. We can't complain. 
And one uh, aspect of your business jumped out at me. It's all fantastic and you cover every aspect of life with products that are sustainably sourced. But what about your wonky stock? My wonky stock? Ah, do you like that? I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like, you know yourself, we've talked about it in the past. Sure, all the carrots in the supermarket have to be straight as a die. You can't have anything with a nodule on it or nothing. But you stock wonky stock. I do, because I started to gather all of these products on the side, you know, either a bottle that has a little bump or sample products or products there on display on the window. And maybe the color has going to be, you know, pastel rather than extremely bright. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to do anything with this. Obviously, I'm not going to send it to landfill. Uh, so I started giving away to friends and uh, family members. And people kept saying to me, why don't you just do something about it, you know, do a competition, offer your customers. People buy this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Good point. So believe it or not, we launched the wonky stock last year during um, lockdown. It was a Friday evening and I'd say it was around 2 p.m. By 5 p.m. I had everything gone. You know, I could not believe because obviously we we lash the prices, right? Um, if there is a little bump, if the color is different or whatever it is, the sample product. We're charging the bare minimum just to make sure it doesn't end up in landfill. It's not, you know, uh, you know, in our stock room sitting there gathering dust and someone is going to use it. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I wish all of the shops did the same. I really wish. Mm, well, look, at that is something uh, that I think is going to take legs and develop and grow in the future. By the way, I've just downloaded Good On You Ethical Fashion as you're speaking there. So I now have it on my phone and I'm going to get in there this evening and have a look. Pat, you're great. It's been wonderful talking to you. Breath of fresh air and I wish you well. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Take care now. That's Pat Kane there from reusey.ie. Oh, she's a wonderful woman, Pat Kane. I will just spell it out for you. Reusey.ie. It's R-E-U-Z-I.ie. That's R-E-U-Z-I.ie. Reusey.ie. Check her out. Uh, we got a message there. You see that, Louise, from Liz and RD. Jerry, I was donating my son's games he no longer played with. They were in excellent condition, but the charity shop wouldn't take them. I was very taken aback by it. I wonder, is that electronic games or board games, Louise? Mm. We don't know. Liz, let us know. Were they electronic or board games? I'm surprised at that, if they're in good nick. And there are shops take the electronic games, don't they? I know that yeah, anyway. Is it CEX and Daughter or something? So. That, I think there's a shop yeah. on the main street somewhere with it. But let us know, Liz, and we'll uh, see. Can we, no yeah, see, can we follow a line on it? Maybe they had too much. I don't know what the, 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 the story was with it, but let us know. Electronic or board games. Well, Louise, I have to say, you are the queen of reusey.ie. <laughs> I'm glad I finally making the make it a hit with you, Jerry. You, after years of you slagging me about my I have to say, I I bow to your uh, <laughs> your you're actually you're ahead of the posse. I am. You really are. You are. I am like, a true not, environmentalist. You are. No, but you no, but truly, you, you do. You're, you you've always told us, and we know that about you that you 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 get value. You reuse. <laughs> you recycle, don't you? From from different areas I just and that don't as well. get rid of clothes I like you don't. until she they doesn't. fall off she me. doesn't anyway there's a listener there wants to see you in threadbare clothes go out with that <laughs> go out with that we'll have none of I, that do you know I actually have a pair of jeans that they has been patched so many times I don't think any of the actual original <laughs> jeans has left <laughs> I'm a bit like, you know, your man from the Trotter family talk with the about, brush. Talk about Irene Cara and, talk about Irene Cara and Flashdance. No, now you're talking. Anyway, but seriously. I'm, I'm no leg warmers. <laughs> <laughs>
But, you know, th- that woman is just a rock of sense, isn't she? A minor, yeah. she's just on on the money, you know, and, and you, you know, fast fashion. I think it's a stage now where people feel that they have to buy something. You yeah. have to. And, and, oh my gosh, if you appear in two photos you with heard the her same, saying that. Yeah, with like the children in school. With the children in school, they, yeah. th- they were horrified when she said that to them. Oh, it couldn't appear twice. Yeah. You know that fast you went fashion. Two weddings in the one outfit. No, forget it. Like, Think you'll about just be that. A pariah. It's like it's a mentality, Louise, and it's one that's been you know it's been bombarded at us. You know, on social media, media, papers, radio, television, it just bla- blasted at us all the time. Buy, buy, buy. Consume, consume, consume. And really, we got to step back and start really, really putting. Uh, uh, a significant thought process into this about the future for everybody uh, uh, you know and it's oh Kate my Middleton's God, a good role model she wears stuff twice and three times and yeah yeah, yeah seen yeah. her in different outfits at the same time yes you know so lucky they are Earl Louise is a dedicated <laughs> follower of fashion Max in sorry <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're heading towards news weather and sport at three on late lunch after three my artist of the week Stevie Wonder and the man who's dealing with ragwort that noxious weed but taking us there she's far from a noxious weed she's a star Aridel with Rolling in the Deep Now, my artist of the week this week is Stevie Wonder. Into the 70s and Stevie married for the first time. He was only 20 and he tied the knot with singer-songwriter Sarita White. And their liaison produced a couple of albums, but with little success. And they parted ways professionally and musically and personally in 1972 after just two years together. His next album was called Talking Book and it did make its mark with tracks like Superstition and You Are the Sunshine of My Life and when he followed up with his next studio album Inner Visions in 1973 Stevie Wonder became one of the most acclaimed black musicians of his generation, or perhaps any generation. That same year, he was seriously injured in a car accident. He was in a coma for a while, but he recovered, thank God, to hit the road. Yes, he was back out again performing as soon as 1974, against the wishes of his medical teams, but he wanted to get up and get going again. When he released Songs in the Key of Life in late 1976, critics, DJs and his growing fan base weren't sure what to make of it initially. However, within a short space of time, its brilliance became apparent as it shot straight to number one on the US Billboard charts where it uh, occupied that position, not consecutively, but over a period of time for 14 long weeks. It was named Album of the Year, won two Grammys, and listen to this, it's ranked fourth in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of all time. What an accolade that is. And today, from that classic album, written for his first child, daughter Aisha, who was born on the 2nd of February, 75, and who now sings and performs and tours with her dad. It's her song. It's many people's song. Yes, isn't she lovely? This is Stevie Wonder, my artist of the week, from the album... Songs in the Key of Life, 1976. What an album that is, was and always will be. The song written for his first child, his daughter, 
Aisha, who was born in February 1975. Imagine a song like that written for you. It's played so many times around the world. Always when a new little girl arrives into this world. Well, it's a lovely song to play. It really is. Anyway, more about Stevie in words and song round about this time tomorrow afternoon on Your Late Lunch. Now... Driving along the highways and byways, if you look across the gate, and if you know you have to be concentrating on the road, but you know if you slow down and stop, and you have a look out, or you stand at a gate or whatever, you look out into the fields, and you'll see these yellow things, yellow, tall yellow, they have a long stem on them and a yellow top on them, and you look and you think, oh my God, what what are they? Do you ever think what what they are, or should they be there? It's ragworth or ragweed, as it's known as well, and it's a noxious weed, and it's an awful bloody thing, and it shouldn't be in any fields. It really shouldn't. You see them cut down. Uh, sprays, well, you know, sprays are, are not good for the environment either. But it's a scourge on Irish land up and down the country, and it's there's been talk about it for years to tackle it. Well, my next guest, who'll be joining us after the break, has invented something to tackle Ragworth. Stay with us. Ragworth, it's a pandemic. It really is up and down the length and breadth of the country. And I'm joined on Late Lunch today by Jim O'Neill, who's invented something to tackle it. Hello, Jim. Good afternoon. Tell us what you've come up with. Well, basically, um, uh, we've come up with a, a small three-grained fork with um, a little heel on the back of it. And... The handle is about waist height and once you push it into the ground, once the heel hits the ground and you just push it away from you, the whole ragweed roots and all pop up out of the ground. Every single bit of a root and all, she'll never come again? No, never come again. And tell me this, backbreaking is something is in my mind because have people just been literally going out and pulling this and bent over and suffering because of it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's it's quite a big issue, really. Um, I suppose in dry weather, the ground is a lot harder, and when farmers have to go out and try and pull it, uh, often times it breaks off near the near the ground. You don't get the root, mm. and it just comes in a quick shot, and people hurt their backs and pull muscles and stuff like that. You know. Mm, so it's causing difficulties for people tackling the ragworth problem. The other thing I'll ask you, and I've seen it done, I, I suppose it makes no odd, if you go out and climb it, it'll come again. That's no good just cutting it down. It will indeed. It, 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 it has a two-year cycle and then it, it dies and it's, of course, it's because it flowers every year and it flowers thousands and thousands of little seeds off it. Uh, that's how it becomes so so aggressive. Mm. So there's no point you can climb it, but it will come back and in other places as well. Spraying, I mentioned before you came on there, the whole issue of, of chemicals and spraying now is a thing that all farmers are certainly looking at, aren't they? That's, that's becoming less of an option? That's, that's true, because like when you, sp- when you spray grass, it naturally, it beckons the grass. Yeah. Plus, as well as that being a chemical, people want to try and get away from that, so... Getting away and looking at things that like biodiversity and all that sort of thing, and and uh, less spray is, is um, less harmful, less harmful to uh, both man and beast, really. Yes, uh, that that is so true. Just you mentioned summer there, Jeepers, Jim. If we had the uh, the spell we had there, so the ground is like concrete. I take it the best time to use this would be late spring when the ground is still soft, autumn, or that those type of times of year. Yeah, but when it's, generally it starts growing in around February time and uh, it, it's nice and leafy and it, the, the fork works extremely well even with pulling the small one as, as there's a picture of it in, in today's farm and independent. Mm. And um, then, of course, at this time of the year, 
the fact that it's it's growing and it's getting near time for for seed, it um, um, it's standing quite tall. So it's it's quite easy just to dig down beside the root mm. and catch it and pop the whole thing up out of the ground. Yeah, and we've had the moisture recently to do it. So springtime, autumn time is the time to tackle it. One thing I will say to you, Pichipers, it's labour intensive. You'd want an army of people to tackle a field, would you? With with, with every one of them manned uh, with, with your fork. Well, I suppose years ago, um, pulling it by hand, uh, every farmer got how all his kids or whatever, and whoever worked for him or whatever, and they went out with force to, to to pull the weeds, and um, uh, they often spent would spend several days at. Mm. Now, the the thing about this is, you will you will dig the you will dig uh, four or five times more. You will do uh, with this fork and. It's not it's not labour intensive on you. You're not going to be tired after you come in after the day. Yeah. We've, uh, for the want of a better word, we field tested with a number of local farmers and uh, got constant feedback off them for to design both both the length of the handle, the type of the fork, the angle of the fork, all those sort of things. And uh, the like, it's been a couple of years in the making. Mm. And uh, now we have it. We have it out on market now. In the last couple of weeks, it's terrific. So the feedback is good. You've uh, trialed it and tested it, and it does what it says on the tin. It's three pronged, is it? You said with a little uh, lip on the back of it that you can shove it into the ground. Do you need to twist it, or will it just no, lift it as it no, is? No, you just you just push it down into the ground. You stand it up straight beside the weed, and you push it down straight, and then you just push it either right if you're right-handed or left-handed, naturally enough right or left hand away from you and the little heel is on the ground at that stage and it just pops up the the, the weed out of the ground. Mm. Have you this uh, protected with patents or anything? Yeah, we've applied for our patents. It's going through the motions at the moment. Uh, naturally enough, I suppose, being a fork, it has to have a, a particular, a special design. It has to be unique, mm. uh, which, which it is. Uh, I've done extensive research into trying to find anything like it and there's nothing like it out there. There's all different types of ones where you push it into the ground and you have to twist it and all that sort of thing. But it's, uh, this is, it's very, very easy to use. I can see every one of the dragons in the den wanting to invest in you, Jim. I, I, I hope so. And uh, <laughs> just like we've had, even today, we've had so many emails and well wishes from so many people uh, but to but to congratulate us on it and to to um, order the product office. So Jim, it's uh, forty euro. It'll set you back. How do people find out more about it, or if they want to inquire off you or uh, take this on? Yeah, well, they can they can be emailed at jimoneil one one six at gmail dot com. Great. Or they can phone me on zero eight six four six seven seven four two zero. Well, I'll tell you this, it's something that needed to be tackled. As you know, I don't have to tell you, you're involved in the farming game as well for years and years. It's a blight on the landscape, it's a curse, and I see real merit in what you've come up with. Congratulations to you, Jim, and best wishes. Thank you very much indeed. It's very appreciated. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's jimoneil116 at gmail.com. jimoneil116 at gmail.com. And we have his number if you're interested as well. Off our usual numbers here. Anyway, that's it for today. Tomorrow, Avine Leahy, me GA star, tells her story to us. And Sirian Sumner 
is a wasp expert. Yes, she is. They'll be with us tomorrow and more besides. All we need is you. Back here, one thirty tomorrow. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely Tuesday. we we'll leave you in the company of Take That. See you tomorrow. You light the skies up above me. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault traffic at Blackstone Motors and get a five-year warranty and low APR with same-day business finance. Call our van specialist Danny today. See blackstonemotors.ie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.